0: the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
2: And welcome to the show. here we are ending up National Disability Employment Awareness Month with a great guest, so you are really in for a treat. We have such a great show for you today because we have someone that many of you know, many of you are friends with, many of you have heard speak, someone well-known in the disability community and really a friend to all of us, Mr. Michael Winner, the Director of the Office of Civil Rights for the Federal Transit Administration and a long-time disability leader. Michael, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you very much, Joyce, for that kind introduction.
2: Yes, and I, I will be honest with you. So all of you know that you all know I have epilepsy and that I started the company over 12 years ago, and and really I've known Michael the whole time. So he's been doing this a lot longer than I have, let me tell you that. But you'll get to hear from him today yourself. So first, Michael, for our listeners throughout the world, how did you first decide, or should I say, what made you decide to become an advocate for Americans with disabilities?
3: Well, first of all, um, I... I guess I had the idea of being an advocate first. Uh, my mother was an advocate. Uh, I grew up on welfare, and she was a, a welfare advocate, and she did a very good job of it. And, of course, uh, I was inspired by uh, Martin Luther King and uh, John F. Kennedy uh, during that time. But I think what really inspired me to do advocacy work is when I went to college. And uh, even though the college was very uh, accessible, for colleges back then, it wasn't as accessible as it should be, and we worked very hard on um, bringing about um, accessible transportation and uh, making sure that, that disabled students were integrated in all the programs there. And So I think that's where I got my start. And uh, mo- most times, most people get their start in college uh, being advocates.
2: And you know what, though? Isn't it something how your own mother... ...had that impact on you also. That's why I always tell people, remember, what you do, you always have, can have an impact on a child. Don't you agree
3: with that? Oh, absolutely. I have a, a 16-year-old now, and I'm, hopefully I'm having some kind of impact. Some days I think I am, some days I think I'm not. So, But uh, my mother was absolutely uh, an amazing person, so um, she really... Uh, you know, taught me that uh, disability was a positive experience and to, uh, you know, that you could be anything you want to be.
2: Well, here you go, Michael. You have a question from a listener in Washington, D.C., from Melinda. And the question is uh, Michael, congratulations for all the great work that you do. I know that you have, for a long time, been working with our government. Can you tell me, do you feel that more and more people will start getting a chance to work in the federal government, that is, people with disabilities?
3: Well, I think we have a lot of work to do. I think that uh, there's still, uh, you know, a lot of work disincentives that exist. Uh, I think we can break down the barriers, and we have been breaking down the barriers, uh, but we need to uh, take on this subject of uh, work disincentives uh, head on, you know, the fact that, uh When people go to work, they they lose a lot of their support services. They, uh, you know, in some cases, lose, um, you know, vital insurance coverage. Uh, The other thing that I think is very important, and uh, although we are at the stage where we're, you know, integration is becoming more and more possible, I think the idea of reasonable accommodation is still something that we need to educate the uh, the federal government about, and uh, hopefully uh, within the next five years we'll be very aggressive about doing that. I know that... Uh, Joyce that you have done that very successfully in the private sector and uh successfully with the federal government, but I think we need to increase that effort about ten times and uh really get at the core where we educate uh, uh, managers uh, about uh, people with disabilities and also make sure that uh, people are accommodated because the reality is you know that when people with disabilities work uh that they're very loyal employees and they're very hard working so uh, we need to step up the effort
2: yes I agree with that so much do I agree with that I know it's true from the great employees that I have had working for me I always tell people when you don't hire a person with a disability you're missing out you are missing out on someone with great ability Um, And with that, we have another question for you here from a Nancy in Philadelphia. I have a question for you, Mr. Winter. As a wheelchair user with a significant disability, let me ask you, how did you get that first job? How did you break down that attitudinal barrier to get through the door and finally get a paycheck?
3: Well, my first job was in college, and it was very interesting. I went to Southern Illinois University and, uh, they actually made the, uh, kitchen accessible. So my first job was a student worker, uh, cleaning vegetables in the cafeteria. <laughs> uh, but I think the, uh, you know, after I graduated from college, I, uh, looked at internship possibilities and, uh, I was very fortunate to get a, uh, internship in uh, Berkeley, California at the Center for Independent Living. And I studied under uh, a great great lady, uh, Judy Human for uh twelve years, so I was very fortunate in that respect. Um uh, the other thing uh now this is just for me, but I realized very at a very uh young age that in order for me as a person with a disability to achieve that I had to understand my environment and understand the the politics associated with that. So I got very active in um uh politics uh you know disability politics as well as local and national politics. And for me that opened up a lot of doors for me because it got got me to meet a lot of people uh I got to to understand a lot of the issues associated with other uh uh, quote unquote disadvantaged groups, and uh, it, I think it really helped me. Um, and the other thing that's very important, uh, whether you're disabled or not, is the, the issue of networking. Uh, Hubert Humphrey said something that I think is very important, very useful, no matter how young or old you are, is always use your connections before you need them. Always get to know people before you need them. Yes. Wow, isn't that a good
2: saying? How true that is, isn't it?
3: Yes, it's very true.
2: Yes, how true that is. <clears throat> you know what I like, to? I like, Michael, how you emphasize the volunteer work you did, you know, how you get involved in politics and different things, because through volunteerism you really meet a lot of people.
3: Don't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, being uh, growing up with a disability, uh, one thing that was lacking in, in my life was, uh, role models. And, uh, you know, my biggest role model was, uh, Frank and Delano Roosevelt. But as I volunteered and got to know people and, you know, some of the, the people you're familiar with, I like, uh, Tony Coelho, uh, Norman Manetta, Justin Dart, Judy Human, You know, these were people that not only, uh, mentored me and gave me a sense of positive identity, but also were very very helpful in terms of uh me being employed so uh mentoring and getting to know people and uh volunteering is is so critical well you really had some great role models
2: i'll tell you that you know that that those were great people um i mean wow starting with all of them justin judy tony i mean normanetto those were great role models for you yeah. And that's why I tell people, if you don't get out, you won't meet people. You've got to get out. So, Michael, how about you tell our listeners what you do at the Federal um, Transit Administration? What, is, what do you do there?
3: Well, my job is to uh, make sure that the uh, civil rights laws related to transportation are uh, carried out and implemented. And uh, I oversee uh, DBE, Disadvantaged Business Enterprise, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, of EEO for internal and external for the transit agency. And last but not least, I uh, oversee the uh, the implementation of the Americans with Disabilities Act as it relates to transportation. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's I shouldn't say this, but that's my favorite. That's your favorite? Yeah, I really um, enjoy uh, carrying out that, uh, that, uh, that implementation and working with the disabled community and the transit community and making sure that, that that is a successful
2: act. Well, I know way back before the ADA was signed, I know that Norman saved the day and that when he was in that transportation committee because I know that Greyhound was not happy about this at the beginning when he, we were trying to get the ADA passed. And do, you, do you see that we've made great progress since then?
3: Oh, well, yeah, Normanetta is the, uh, he's one of the angels of the ADA along with, uh, Tony Coelho. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an ADA if it wasn't for those individuals. And, uh, Norman Normanetta, especially on the transportation provision. And one of the things that, uh, if I had to name something that I'm, I'm sort of proudest of is the, uh, is making greyhound accessible it's just not greyhound but making the inner city buses uh, accessible and uh, tony coelho played a major role in that and uh, uh... secretary veneta he wasn't secretary then but uh... he played a great role and role in making sure that that you know the uh, inner city bus industry became accessible and uh... so the accessibility of public transportation has come a long way. You know, in 1990, uh, only about 10 or 15 percent of the uh, public buses were accessible, and now we have over 95 percent of the public buses are accessible, and uh, we also have a very good uh, paratransit system for people that can't use public transportation. And uh, last year, uh, over 57 million rides were provided on, ADA related paratransit. So, you know, it's making our society, uh, more mobile. It's making, uh, people with disabilities, uh, giving them the ability to integrate into society and become productive members. And, uh, the other thing that's very important is that, uh, you know, if you don't have a way to get to work, you're not going to work. So transportation is very, a very key element for people with disabilities and the ability to work.
2: Yes, I know. I have, you know, the uh, saying of Rosa Parks, you know, in her case, it was, I'm not going to sit in the back of the bus. Now with many people with disabilities, it was, I just want to get on the bus.
3: Yeah, I I, I had the opportunity to meet Rosa Parks, uh, and it was really, for me, it was just an amazing experience. And uh, she was in a wheelchair, at that point. Um, and she said to me, she said, You know, I fought all those years to get, you know, to make sure that I didn't have to sit in the back of the bus. She said, Now I'm fighting to get on the bus. You know? Oh, well, I'll tell you what,
2: Rosa Parks, where I have a the Rosa Parks stamp up in my. Um, office, because to me, all of these people in civil rights, prior to us in civil rights, played a part of where we are today. No Absolutely. doubt about that. And with that, I'm going to go to break for a minute, and after break, I'll be right back with Michael Winter, who is the Director of Office of Civil Rights for the Federal Transit Administration. You are listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice. During the month of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, where disability matters on VoiceAmerica.com, don't go away.
0: Have you ever thought about having your own internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us, then click Be a Host to get more information, or just call Jeff Spinard. At four eight zero two nine four six four one seven. Say that again? 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom?
5: I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are 2.5 million Americans with the condition, and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000.
4: radio show radio by george that's every monday at 1 p.m. pst right here on the voice america channel
0: voice america.com
1: if you have a question or comment call and toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now please welcome back the host of disability matters here's joy spender
2: And welcome back. Now, if you just tuned in, our guest today is Michael Winner, the Director of Office of Civil Rights and Federal Transit Administration. And while we were on the break, we were talking about some other great leaders that helped. During the movement to get the ADA signed, one of them he mentioned is Pat Wright, who really, oh, she is such a great person, and if she's listening, hello to you, Pat Wright. And were there any others that you wanted to mention?
3: Well, there's, uh, you know, of course, Ed Roberts and uh, Pat Wright and um, uh, Liz Savage, of course, Uh, just a Great grass, was was Lex Frieden and you know, of course, Justin and Yoshiko Dart So it was, it was, it was. Um, you know, I was just a young kid then. So many. It was, yeah. it was, I think it was one of the greatest uh, grassroots efforts in the history of this country, you know, to uh, get the ADA passed.
2: And, you know, we lost a great person. We lost Justin. But I want to tell you, his wife, Yoshika, she keeps it going.
3: She does. She's absolutely. She keeps
2: it going, and the spirit is still alive of Justin. It is still alive and going. and And we have to keep things going. We cannot get complacent. And speaking of that, Michael, you mentioned some of the work you do uh, in your position. As you are the Director of Office of Civil Rights, tell me, are many issues brought before you by people with disabilities that are civil rights issues? And if so, what, what, what types of issues would those be?
3: Well, the the, the main issues, and it's really amazing, the, the issue is still whether we're going to segregate or integrate um, a lot of the issues have to do with when we're building uh, new commuter rail projects, um, whether they're going to be able to uh, enter the train just from one car, whether it's going to be level boarding, uh, making sure that when um, when there's when people are riding the buses, um, especially for low vision people and people that have cognitive disabilities, that the stops are called out. Now a lot of that uh, is being helped along by um by um uh, intelligent transportation systems you know enunciators and all that um, you know making sure that mainstream uh transportation systems are accessible making sure that elevators are maintained uh, so we're still um you know dealing with a lot of those issues one of the um uh, other concepts that I think is important and uh you know the ADA only covers uh transportation that exists but one thing that I think is very important is to look at the uh the mobility of uh people with disabilities and the the mobility of elderly people especially in rural areas and you know rural areas still we have uh 40% of the areas still don't have any kind of transportation at all public or private and so we are trying to work on how to solve those uh, problems. The other thing that uh, I really try to preach as much as possible, and this just makes sense from a integration uh, standpoint, not only for disabled people but for elderly people, is the concept of universal design and everything that we do. I mean. It's very critical in transportation that we design systems to be, to go beyond the ADA, to be as accessible as possible. One example I, I can give, uh, and I just got back from Boston where we had a very successful meeting with the general manager there, Dan Groboskis, and, uh, one thing that they're doing is that when they're putting in new stations or renovating, they're, they're trying to build, uh, two elevators for each system, so there's redundancy. So, you know, those are the kind of things that are really going to help with uh, making mainline transportation even more accessible. And uh, the other thing that I think um, is very important is, you know, when the ADA was passed uh, 17 years ago, there was not the kind of technology that exists now, and so the technology that we 're applying to public transportation to make it more accessible and and to communicate with the uh, consumers and the community is much more advanced than it 's ever been so it 's much easier to communicate with uh, people that have uh, that are blind or low vision or people that are deaf or you know even to make sure that uh, people are aware of when the train's coming or when the bus is coming and uh, how long it's going to take to get to your destination.
2: Right. Well, speaking of this whole issue, for Americans with disabilities, what do you think are then the biggest issues in transportation?
3: Well, I think the, the big issue is still the concept of integration versus segregation. I think that people still have this concept, and I I think it not only relates to transportation, it relates to employment and housing. That people with disabilities uh, don't belong in the society. That they're they're meant to be taken care of. They're they're meant to be segregated. And uh, we we have the law behind us, you know, so that's great. But we still got to push this concept, you know, uh, that you know we want to build things, we want to integrate as much as possible because it not only Leads to uh, a person with a disability becoming a a taxpayer and productive. It also creates a situation where, uh, if someone acquires a disability, you know, rather through age or through other kinds of circumstances, they're able to maintain themselves in the community. Uh, one of the other things that I'm very interested in, and you know, it's been called different things over the years, but is the the concept of livable communities and uh National Council on Disability uh did a great report on livable communities and the impact on people with disabilities. And, you know, trying to build communities that are closer related to transportation uh, entities because that, that makes a big difference. Uh, a lot of people with disabilities can't drive or don't want to drive. A lot of elderly people can't drive or, or shouldn't be driving at this point. And so if you create a community where it's uh, walkable or rollable and uh, people can get around and, you know, get to the store and, you know, get where they need to go uh, rather than try to drive, I think it makes it a lot better not only for the person but for the environment too. So one one thing I want to say, I think that we... I think one thing that that could be a great political movement is the is the green community coming together with the disability community.
2: Yeah, isn't that the truth? You know, um, this is really a good point you're making because there are people I meet people with disabilities, and they live in such a rural area that then for them to get to a place of work, they can't get there. Do you know what I mean? Because they do but not drive.
3: It's, a, it's it's a big problem and. Uh, one thing I would like to um, see happen is you know to create a livable community concept in uh, rural communities. Now it wouldn't exactly be the same, but you know with the idea of car uh, carpooling or or shared vehicles or uh, you know different kind of consortiums providing you know transportation, I think that we really need to think about uh this concept of mobility and people getting around it's not only for work but one of the other big issues that always comes up is uh, the issue of access to health care and if you don't have transportation you're not going to have access to health care yes well what do people do what should they do when
2: they live in an area um without transportation what do you suggest they do
3: well i said the, the um uh, new legislation that was just passed safety lou uh... there a lot of provisions in there that that uh, mandate uh, coordination and input from the community, and so I think if you're a person with a disability or an elderly person, or if transportation is your big issue, to get involved with the uh, local transit community and get involved in the local planning agencies that plan services for uh, you know disabled and elderly in that region, because I think that's where. You're going to have input. And, you know, it gets back to your employment issue, too. I mean, that's a great place to learn, um, you know, a new new uh, industry. It's a great place to get to know people and network. It's a great way to volunteer and uh, also do something that might benefit yourself, too.
2: Okay. Well, that is good information to know because, you know, you can't just sit back. You've got to speak up. When you need help, you've got to do something about it. And I think, Michael, do you, isn't there, like, a lot of groups working in the rural areas about issues like this?
3: Oh, yeah, there's a there's a very, very good movement in the rural areas. There's, there's an association called Community Transportation Association of America, uh, which is mostly made up of providers, but they they've done a pretty good job over the years of involving consumers in their organization. And there's a uh, the uh, national council on independent living has a rural component to it, a rural uh, of independent living that deals with transportation. So more and more people are looking at the uh, the rural issue and uh, how can we make it so that people have basic mobility. One thing that uh, I've been taught over the years, and uh I think Justin Dart and Normanetta are the ones that really. Uh, Conditioned me on this was that you know transportation to them and to me is a civil right. Um, No one should be able. No one should be without the ability to get where they need to go. The ability to go to 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 church. The ability to go to school. The ability to work. The ability to you know just see friends. You know that 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 should be seen as a civil right that we all have that that opportunity to. to use of transportation.
2: And with that, we're going to go to break for one minute, and then we'll be back. If you just tuned in, what a good show. We have Michael Winner, the Director of the Office of Civil Rights for the Federal Transit Administration and a longtime leader in the disability community with us today. We're going to go to break right now. You're listening to America's Voice. Joyce Bender on VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back.
0: News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
5: I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are 2.5 million Americans with the condition, and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000.
2: Ever
6: wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with president of Treveras David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Travera's Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend.
2: And if you just joined us, we're talking to Michael Winner, the Director of the Office of Civil Rights for the Federal Transit Administration. And, Michael, you know we talked before. I've known you a while. Also, you grew up with a disability. You know, I'm wondering, how different is it now than it was to you before?
3: How have things changed? Well, it's a a very big difference. Uh, When I grew up uh, in Chicago, uh, all the um, kids with disabilities had to go to a special school um, even if even if you were able to go to a public school, you still had to go to special school and it was really uh, amazing because there was a public school a block from my house that was completely accessible that I could have went to but you know it was, it was very interesting because I mean the disadvantage was being segregated, but the advantage of going to a special school you really met some great uh people i mean there were people from all over the city and uh actually during that time in chicago we were the only integrated school system, school in the whole city so we had a, we were very diverse and and uh, we had a lot of different uh people going to that school and uh i think you i think there was a natural peer counseling that went on You know, it was sort of like when I went to, uh, Berkeley, uh, in uh, 1977, I already understood the concepts of peer counseling, but, so going to a special school, um, was one issue. I think the other issue was, um, the issue of, uh, public transportation. You know, I grew up right next to an L train, and, uh, use it and of course the buses back then weren't weren't accessible. I I remember the first time that I rode on a public bus um uh, I I was invited to do an internship in at the center for independent living in Berkeley, California with Judy Human and they had um uh, accessible buses in um uh, in the uh, bay area. And so I got on the bus and it was just like it was just an amazing feeling to, you know, get on the bus and, uh, you know, be with other people. Uh, and I rode on that bus for like five hours, you know. Wow. And the bus driver kept saying, well, uh, where's your destination, sir? And I said, well, I, I, I'm not sure where I want to go yet, so let's just keep going, you know. But it was really uh, uh, amazing. and I And I thought about that from a psychological point of view you know, most of our interaction in society is in public, you know. And so when disabled people were segregated, you know, in the schools and not allowed to be in public transportation systems, then that's where I think a lot of the problems came in integrating them, integrating us, I should say, later on in the society. And uh, so I think that that was um, something that, Maybe got me involved in, uh, really wanting to make, uh, public transportation accessible because it really did open up my world and, uh, it, I think it opens up everybody's world when they have, uh, mobility. The other thing I remember, uh, rather vividly is the Amtrak train not being accessible and when I grew up in Chicago and we had to go from, uh, Chicago to, uh, Southern Illinois, I went to school in Southern Illinois. And we had to take the Amtrak train, and we had to, there were a couple of us that were disabled. We had to kind of scoot up the steps and ask somebody to take our wheelchair up, and, you know, it was, so it was amazing. And I just rode an Amtrak to uh, Boston just recently. You know, the Excel was very nice, and the bathroom is, you know, almost like an apartment. Uh-huh. And I was just thinking, you know, like 30 years ago I had to crawl up the steps to get on the Amtrak, now i can just you know oh you know so i mean things have i think things have progressed you know in a nice way i mean there's still a lot of issues there's still a lot of problems but one thing i i think that's very important and and uh you know this as a person with a disability yourself is you you've got to keep a positive attitude you've got to make sure that you think of things as what you want things to be not the way they are necessarily and uh I think my uh back to my mother who i who was my number one person in my my life to uh inspire me to be what I want to be um uh, instilled that in me, you know like don't worry about where you're at now, worry about where you're going in the future, so I think that that is um, something that I think a person with a disability really needs to take on. I think they really gotta understand that having a disability is not a negative thing that in a way, it's a very positive experience, uh, because you get to experience life in a different way than other people. Um, you get to adapt very quickly to things. Um you have to adapt. You have to know how to, to, uh, maneuver very quickly in, in certain situations. And I think it sort of gives you, uh, and I'm not saying all oh, disabled people are like this, but I think that, it, that for me, at least it gave me a different perception of people and, uh, you know, I was very appreciative of the people that uh, helped me and supported me because, you know, part of being independent is being independent, but there's also, uh, we're all interdependent on each other and uh, throughout the years a lot of people have really been very uh, supportive of of me as a person with a disability and also... uh, supportive in terms of helping me develop my um identity and uh I'm just so very thankful that there there were people like uh Tony Coelho in the world who uh, you know played such a leadership role and uh, with the, the disability rights movement because a lot of times people with disabilities, especially people with epilepsy or people that are in wheelchairs, they didn't want to be out front, you know. They wanted to hide their disability, and so it was really great to see those role models, and for those role for my for those role models to be in my life. Yes,
2: and you know that's interesting. Many of the things you said here are so interesting because, you know, when uh, as you mentioned, I am a woman with epilepsy and a hearing loss. But you know, when you don't see people out there working, you know, and, and you see they have a disability, whatever it may be. When you don't see them a out in public, you know, you weren't thinking as much about them being in the workforce. It was easier, you know, maybe for some people when people were just at home, you know, the way it was before. But we must so much move away from that medical model to a model of people with great ability who just want to work versus taking care of everyone. We really need to move to that model. And people like Tony, as you said, he is so awesome, and he has done so much. But we still have a long way to go. It leads to my next question, which is, as you know, a couple years here, we're at the 20th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Isn't that amazing? I remember being at that 10th anniversary. It seems like it was just the other day. But my question for you, Michael, 20 years. How can we possibly still have this high unemployment rate for Americans with disabilities?
3: Well, I think a lot of it gets back to the uh, work disincentives, and I think that we have to deal with that uh, issue head on. Um, People should not worry or lose uh, support services if they become employed. It doesn't make sense from an economic or a personal point of view. The other thing that we have to do is we... And you do a great job of this, uh, Joyce, is we've gotta educate the uh employers. We've gotta educate them and and get them to talk openly about their perceptions of um uh, people with disabilities because a lot of people still have that perception that, you know, people with disabilities uh need to be taken care of and if I hire someone I'm gonna be taking care of somebody, uh instead of them, you know, being a productive person of the staff. And, uh, you know, when people with disabilities uh, get into the workforce, the to show that, again, that they're very loyal employees and they're very productive employees. And I think the, the probably the, the last issue, uh there's many other issues, but one of the last issues that I'm always dealing with is this issue of reasonable accommodation. And we have to get over this concept that, you know, some people think that if you give somebody a reasonable accommodation or you make a reasonable accommodation, that someone's getting something that someone else isn't getting. Like it's a special favor for a person with disabilities. And in the first place, most reasonable accommodations don't cost that much money. I think most reasonable accommodations uh, what well, used to be $200, but I guess with inflation, maybe we could say three or $400. And, you know, the, the support services that a person might need, you know, you you get the rate of return as far as that person working and not, you know, paying taxes and also, uh, you know, being productive and, and staying on and being a, a loyal employee and not having to worry about turnover as much um the 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 return is just uh you know incredible. So I think those are the three main things. Uh you know, trying to overcome attitudes, uh trying to deal with the work incentives and also uh trying to bring about uh systems of a reasonable accommodation. And you know one thing that um uh, I've noticed that when we talk about reasonable accommodation it's really not just for people with disabilities because when you reasonably accommodate people in the workforce, you're making it so that everybody can do their job a little bit easier and everybody can be more productive. You know, So, I mean, an example would be the use of headsets. You know, uh, having a headset used to be something that only people with disabilities used is they couldn't use their hands or, uh, you know, it's much easier for them. But now, you know, working in the federal government, I see people with headsets all over the place. And Isn't that amazing?
2: Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, so many things like that. So things that were in accommodation now used by everyone, you know, for so many different things, whether it's closed caption or mothers, you know, having accessible parking. I mean, there's so many things like that. Um, and I'll tell you, we, we've got to break down this attitudinal barrier, and the only way we're going to do it is if we have people with disabilities employed. And as Michael said, You know, when you work for my company, you do have 100% health care with no contribution to the premium. And that is one of the reasons that we don't have a problem because people know they don't have to worry about their health care. And we really need to work on those things. We really do. We need to work on those things so that people with disabilities can work just like everyone else. And with that, we'll be right back to close the show with Michael Wenner. Director of Office of Civil Rights for the Federal Transit Administration and a leader in the disability community. This is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1 866 472 5787. And ask our All Star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866 472 5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
5: I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy.
4: Whether you are already applying the Law of Attraction to your life or you have no idea what this all means, this show will be branded as the best live resource available for learning about Law of Attraction. Michael Lozier's Law of Attraction talk show broadcasts live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Now, the only thing left to decide, what do you want?
1: Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Well, your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney, shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential.
0: VoiceAmerica.com
1: If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: And welcome back to the show. If you just tuned in, Michael Winner, Director of the Office of Civil Rights and Federal Transit Administration, has been our guest today, and it has truly been a pleasure having him on the show. If you missed the rest of the show, remember, These shows are archived on voiceamerica.com and BenderConsult.com. You can go back and listen to them, and we do have real-time captioning for all of our friends from the deaf community. Uh, Michael, we didn't get to talk about taxi cabs. What about taxi cabs and their accessibility for people with disabilities?
3: Well, as you um, probably are aware, taxi cabs are one of the areas that was not covered by the ADA in terms of accessibility to people in wheelchairs and uh, it's covered in terms of you know you can't tell someone um, they can't uh, get into a taxi if they have a disability or a guide dog but as far as being accessible um, they are not required to to be accessible so one thing that we've been working on for the last five years is trying to bring about um, accessible taxis in this country and a lot of Groups have been working on that uh and uh different disability organizations and um you know New York is moving ahead with their program um Las Vegas has a lot of the accessible taxis uh Chicago has a very good accessible taxi program uh San Francisco has a good accessible taxi program, so I think this is one of the um laugh areas of accessibility that we need to. To look at is making sure that, uh, taxis are accessible and I think it's important not only from a mobility point of view and, it, but it's also important from a cost savings point of view. A lot of people use, uh, paratransit services which can run anywhere from 50 to 65 dollars an hour for the, uh, transit provider when they could be using taxi service, uh, at a, at a minimum cost. So, uh, we really want to look at this issue and push this issue and hope that there is a um, there's a meeting of the minds in terms of how the private and public sector can work together to bring about accessible taxis
2: well we appreciate the work you're doing and we are with you 100% on that michael a few last things i want to talk to you about before we close the show today one is you know we have many great young leaders out there, I believe we do, but I have to be honest with you, many times when you talk to people about our leaders, our disability leaders, they name all the same people you named. You know, they still name Judy Human, Tony Coelho, um, you know, all the people that really have been doing this for so long. And several times on my radio show, I've had people call in and ask, do we have leaders coming in to replace those people that have that same passion and power what's your opinion about that
3: i think we do and i think that we have to uh... offer the proper venues and trainings to make sure that they they understand uh... the, the history of the disability uh... rights movement and also understand what needs to be done uh, in all of our workshops that we have on transportation, uh, we make sure that we have a component, um uh, that deals with youth issues. And in fact, we've invited a number of youth to those, to those trainings. So, uh, we are doing our part to make sure that the, the next generation takes over these issues. So, uh, Nico has been doing a great job of, uh, this year at their conference, uh, one of their, their, their whole sections was devoted to youth, and I think they even paid for youth with disabilities to attend that conference. So, this this is not only necessary, but it's uh, critical to our survival uh, as a movement to uh, train that next generation, and uh, also to you know not only to train them, but to to learn from them. You know, they're they're the the next generation is is a little more savvy than we are as far as the uh, technology and the, the, how to use the internet and how to organize and how to get people's attention so uh, we we can definitely learn from them too and uh, we need everybody that we can to uh, make sure our movement's successful because there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and there's still a lot of education that needs to be done I have a uh, one of my uh, staff person has a a son who has uh, autism and uh, you know 15 years ago you know if you had a son who had autism you would try to hide it and I'm very proud of this person because she took this issue head on and you know was really uh, really had a positive attitude about it really uh, you know got got the uh, treatment in there very early um, just had her and her family marching the Autism Speaks Conference. So, you know, I think things are changing. I think that, uh, you know, people with disabilities are being looked at as uh, people that are in society, not the, you know, not the superheroes or the the people that need to be healed or the sick, but really being looked at as um, people that are, you know, part of society, people that are contributing to society people that can make make a difference and I think the rest of society can learn a lot from the the younger disabled people because they're the ones that are going to create the uh, the environment where us older disabled people can live comfortably and they're the ones that are going to have to make sure that all the uh, the accessibility features are there that all the the financial uh, funding mechanisms are there so we need to rely on them. And we need to work with them, and we need to train them. Um, I think it's it's a it, it should be. It is a priority.
2: Well, and I, and I believe it is too, because that is our future, and we need the young people right there with us in order to create change. Because we still do have a long way to go. Well, Michael, the last two questions I, I want to tell you. I ask everyone that's ever been on this show ever. over the past three and a half years. Um, And the first question is, now, like with you, you have accomplished so much already, you know, received numerous awards. You've done so much in your life. What would you say is your proudest accomplishment?
3: I think the thing that I really um, appreciate the most is making the inner city buses accessible, getting that regulation out, overcoming the financial uh, impact analysis that we had to do and uh dealing with the political end of it. You know, I had a lot of help, uh, but I had to really um, navigate that through the Department of Transportation. And, uh, you know, the over-the-road buses, the accessibility came about in 1998, and that was uh approximately eight years after the ADA. So it was sort of one of the last issues that the ADA, it was passed in the ADA, but there were never any regulations promulgated to uh, deal with the situation. So I think that's the most
2: favorite thing that I did. And what message do you want to leave with our listeners today,
3: Michael? Uh, be proud of who you are, uh, be willing to fight, and get involved, so volunteer That is a great
2: message. And you know, we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and I am going to use the quote that Michael used earlier in the show from Hubert Humphrey, who said, always use your connections before you need them. What a great quote, and what a great show with Michael Winter. Michael, thank you very much for being our guest.
3: Thank you, Joyce.
2: And this is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Remember, if you have a job, include a person with a disability. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters on voiceamerica.com. See you next week.